Hi. How are you doing? Welcome back to Deep and Meaningfuls with Fursey. Uh, episode three. Here we go. I'm having a great time doing these podcasts and uh, I'm glad that people are enjoying listening to them. I'd like to read you a comment from episode two. This one is from Suzel Manuzel. Suzel says, very interesting and informative. Enjoyed it. Thumbs up emoji. Thanks, Suzel. Really appreciate your comment. Glad you had a good time. Also, thanks for giving birth to me. You gave me the gift of life and 33 years later, I give you the gift of a podcast. That's how you know you've got a cool mum when you have a conversation about psychedelics and then put it on the internet and not only does she like it, but she tells her mates about it and they want to know more. Nice one. People think that baby boomers are a little closed-minded, but not my mum and her mates. They're hip. Now, there are three things that I love in life. A big old tree, the Ninja Turtles, and a good deep chat. And this episode of the podcast is definitely a deep and meaningful. It is with my mate James, or Jim Oss, as I call him. He's a composer, a producer, and songwriter. And I kind of sprung this podcast on him during an equipment check while I was staying at his apartment in LA. He is one of those people that fluently speaks the language of music. He's written pop songs for Justin Bieber and Demi Lovato. He has his own pop music under the name of Gladius James. And he's just released his first album of instrumental compositions called Reviving the Soul of the Imagination. Check it out. It's, it's a real trip. And I'm not just saying that because he's my friend. He's actually really good. Uh, so that's nice when you don't have to lie to your friends. Uh, we've known each other for over 150 years now. We used to play in a band together called Shotgun Alley. We've had many adventures together. He's one of my bestest BFFs. So here is James Wong. Oh, click track. I'm <laughs> doing a podcast in the click track. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, how are uh, you? I'm pretty good, thanks. Welcome to the podcast. 128 BPM. M. Yeah, it'd be awful. You could, I could quantize the things that you say. Mm-hmm. All right, well, Jimos, we're finally doing it. Do you want to do it now, right now? It looks like we are. Well, do you want to sit somewhere a bit more, or is this good? I feel like this is this is... This is good. This is organic. I feel like... Mm, okay, well... <laughs> I just feel like I need to get a bit more... There you go. Get cosy. Comfortable. Would you like this? Would you like this chair? No. Oh, yeah? Go on, what, so I can put my feet up? Well, you might want to. But is that too casual? Is it going to make you feel a bit no, too relaxed when nice you're... to be relaxed. Trying to... We're pretty relaxed, guys. Oh, I'm a bit nervous now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you I should I can be. feel it in my body. I can, feel, I can, I can I notice... The change in my chest area. Mm. Butterflies. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, well, I guess that's what they call it. Stomach. It's like before you go on stage, before you do a performance, mm. you kind of physically <gasps> tense up. Yeah. And everything seems to get faster. Is, it, is that right? Yeah, it's odd. You kind of, your blood pressure rises, your heart beats faster and everything. It's, it's that fight or flight response, I guess. Mm. And trying to... Trying to watch it rather than just let it overtake you is very difficult. Mm, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, I'm sort of battling with that 
battling battling with that right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can hack it. Yeah. You just you do the You intentionally slow down your breathing because then it tricks your body because your body's acting subconsciously because of what's happening on in your emotional state. And then you slow your breathing so your body goes, oh. Mm. Which is very interesting because your, your body is – your breathing is really part of the only – I think the, the term is autonomic nervous system mm. or autonomic functions that you can actually consciously control. Mm. Everything else, like you can't really control your heartbeat unless you're Wim Hof or unless some incredible Buddhist monk. Mm. But mm. but your breathing, you can breathe. <laughs> you can hyperventilate and trip out, or you can, you know, mm. slow it all down and get into a meditative state, which mm. kind of hacks your body, which is which is fascinating. Yeah, the breath is um, profound. To say the least. Yeah, well, to be able to do that. You can't do it with your digestion. Mm-hmm. You can't do it with your heartbeat. Like you, like you, can't, you can't do it with you – can't, you can't heal wounds faster. I mean, there are, there are tales of, again, incredible meditators who are able to do that kind of thing. But the breath, any chump can have a crack at it, <laughs> including you and me. Yeah. Well, we've all got it, don't we? Yeah. We've all, we've, we, we can all do it. Yeah. And we do it whether we like it or not. Yeah. I yeah. like it. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Some people might not. And when we did the, um, the, the shamanic breath work. Mm. Yeah, well, I've done that a few times. Yeah. I remember the first time doing that, feeling a bit um, before it, thinking this shouldn't do anything. This, this, <laughs> this, should, this shouldn't be good for me. Yeah. But yeah. doing it and thoroughly enjoying it. Mm. Well, it's very odd. It's very uncomfortable. When you're doing it, your body and your mind, well, maybe it's just your mind, is telling you telling you not to do it mm. because it's – you. well, I, I guess it's because you think about it as hyperventilating. Um, and that is what it is, right? That's exactly what it is, yeah. But why does the word hyperventilating have such a negative – is that because it's associated with anxiety attacks? And I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Because it ca- I, I guess because it happens when you aren't intentionally doing it. If you're in- incredibly anxious, if you're at a very tense situation, you will breathe too fast. And some people can, if they're having an anxiety attack or a panic attack, they will hyperventilate and sometimes can pass out. But but when you intentionally do, so for anyone who doesn't know, shamanic breathing is where you 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 basically breathe as hard as you can for fifteen minutes. Non-stop lying down. Mm. Like it's, it's, mm. and, and, and 15 minutes of that is a long time. Mm. And, and the first, for me, when we did it that time here, mm. the first three minutes is by far the worst because that's exactly what you're describing. Every part of your normal conscious mind is going, what are you doing? Stop doing that. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> this isn't why. And, and and you just find you just get I get cranky and all this all kinds of all kinds of it starts off with me trying to talk myself out of doing it mm. and then when that doesn't work I just start hating my life and all kinds of crankiness comes up and like mm. I'm just I'm just annoyed and, and I'm and I'm anxious and all all kinds of things it's very emotional very emotional yeah mm. and then eventually after about four or five minutes you kind of all that goes away mm. for me at least mm. and it becomes very 
much more clear place. It's still uncomfortable, but it's kind of nice. And some, when then my hands start to go all mangled. Right, right. You start to sort of seize up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting experience. I don't, ha- I don't have a lot to say about it because I've only done it a few times. Yeah. But my experience was, uh, it was like getting high without. It was like it, it was it was a, it was a getting high naturally i guess yeah it was definitely the the experience after it was over was the pleasant part the part when you're just sort of sitting in a in a glow and mm. it's a very peaceful state of mind yeah it is and the and you i, I find, did you find that there was like the the energy kind of pumping through your body right it does kind of feel like your body's vibrating yeah 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 that's right it's it's kind of a like um like electricity yeah Mm. tingling in the fingers tingling that's a good word for it yeah the tingling the tingling in my does your face go mangled my my mouth goes like oh (laughs) oh, i can't yeah uh well my arms definitely do strange things they go all t-rex like (laughs) You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I start kicking my legs like I'm swimming. Oh yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Now that's see. Now that you're talking about it, it's yeah. spring, It's coming all back. Yeah, yeah. You, you, it's kind of like you know, you yeah. <laughs> doing anything to get through it. Well, but it's kind of fun as well. Well, that's interesting because there's something about when your body shakes, it is a bit like you're shaking off energy. Mm. Now, I. And when I speak about energy, I guess I'm going into a very speculative area in my knowledge. But it feels as though when your body is spontaneously moving like that, it's kind of happening of its own accord. Yeah. Well, I I wonder if that's what's happening. If you're, if you're, it's the combination of doing something intentionally, like the breath, breathing intentionally fast, Mm -hmm. that you normally would do unintentionally right that kind of hacks into the same thing that you're talking about where you're you you shake intentionally but it's also kind of unintentionally like for instance when you get when people say oh someone just walked over my grave or i got a shiver down my spine mm. like it always happens to me when i'm doing a wee you get that little uh, <laughs> yes <you know? laughs> but, but that is that what you're talking about um well i started i was just thinking about my um I was thinking about my ayahuasca experience mm. and how there was a whole 20 to 30 minutes of my legs and my entire body just kind of um, tremoring. Wow. And I couldn't, I didn't have any control over it, but it needed to happen. It, my body wanted it to happen. Mm. And so it was just happening. Wow. And so it felt connected to the same sort of spontaneous shaking that was happening uh during the the breathing experience it's that it's that it's that same thing that um dogs and cats do you know like like my my dog does it all the time whenever we go we're about to go for a walk or when we've finished a walk Mm. she stands up she does downward dog and then she does (laughs) she shakes her whole body yeah and then she's ready to go well there's a there's a there's a wonderful um story behind that a wonderful reason behind why they do that and I don't. Yes, I love. Tell me this. Story right. Well, I don't know if I have it right, but it's something to do with the fact that a lot of the stress and the emotional 
and the emotion is stored in the body. Like in your fascia, in your right. in your, in your muscles and in your skin? Yes. So where you sh- when you shake it, you're sort of rebalancing yourself. Wow. So animals do it all the time. Yeah. Because it's just instinctive. It's instinctive. Humans don't do it. What we do is when we're stressed out, we then blame it on someone else. <laughs> you know? And we, yeah, ho- we a, you never blame but, yourself, but not, but not until ten years after that. So it's yeah. we store yeah. it for a very long time. We never deal with it in the present. It just sort of accumulates and then becomes, I guess, a a, a, a kind of trauma. Yeah. Um, yeah, or potentially an illness or something. It was a well. This is the. It sounded like you were trying to get me to tell the story. Yeah. My therapist had the story that he told me about uh, another therapist who was doing family therapy. And uh, he, um, you know, he was in the middle of a session with with one of his families, and uh, everybody was, you know, it was commotion every bit everywhere. The, the the husband was going off at the wife, and the the daughter was going off at the son, and it was just complete chaos. And kind of like that scene at the start of Wedding Crashes, where they're just yelling at each other. Yeah, just yeah. absolute, um, you know, not a, not a good time. And uh, and he just said, "Everybody, stop." And then, and, and, and everybody kind of just stopped and he just, <laughs> he just had to do it. He, <laughs> he had to shake himself yeah. so that he didn't get, but it was just like so alarming to the entire family. I'm sure it was. <laughs> yeah, that'd trip you out in the middle of a therapy session where your therapist just seems to have a bit of a fit. <laughs> <laughs> We've broken the therapist. Right. That's right. how fucked up we are. Well, that, that was his coping um, mechanism for uh, for dealing with um, stress. Which, Have you ever tried it when you're in a stressful situation? Um, yes, I have. And and sometimes it's not that you try it, but sometimes it's just it, it just comes on. Like, yeah. You know, it, it possesses you. <laughs> you know, you get a little bit of it, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Damn it. You know, you, you, a little shake. Um, You're I, just going to knock it out of you. Right. Well, um, you mentioned that athletes and performers and people will will sort of jump about mm-hmm. before they go on stage or before they See go Tony on. Tony Robbins? He does the – maybe that's exa- – he obviously knows exactly what we're talking about because he has um, a, a little mini tramp behind mm-hmm. backstage. Before he goes on uh, yeah. and he jumps on that and he bounces around and he's basically doing the exact same thing. It's a kind of bringing yourself into equilibrium. It's, it's, it's a sort of um, a re- it's a sort of a calibration, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Great mm. word. An alignment of, mm. uh, yeah, calibration I think is perfect. You keep kind of figuring that. And, and I guess if you're, if you're going into a situation like Tony Robbins is where he's just going to, you know, have a little chat and change thousands of people's lives for 24 hours straight – you want to be pretty. You want to be pretty calibrated. Be <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Because you don't want to bring any bringing bring any of your own shit. Yeah. To uh, somebody else's life. Um, which, yeah. which which we do all the time. Yeah. You know. So. Um, he's, he's good on you, Tony. Yeah, he's badass, man. He he does the cold plunges. Yeah. Well, I, that's re- totally related to yeah. to what we're talking about. That's a kind of calibration in of itself, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he's he. I saw on the. I think it's on that Netflix documentary where he has. It's basically like the tiniest jacuzzi you've ever seen. Is that I am not your guru? Yes, right. and it's like, it's about a, a five and a half foot deep, 
Mm. Well, Tony Robbins is nine foot tall, so it's probably not, eight foot tall. Right, not for parties. Though. Not for parties, no. no. But it's only it's only like like fifty centimeters wide, so you can just just fit in it. It's like the size of the 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 the. the Size of a sink, right? A big sink <laughs> that you can dive into and barely fit in, and you just sit in there and just freeze. For Is a, that for a cold couple. one? That one? Yeah, that's cold. That's the cold. Punch. I thought that was the the hot one. No, I'm pretty sure that's the cold one because he does it with a hot one as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, I think that that's called tempering, where you go you go into a athletes do that a lot. They'll go into an ice bath uh-huh. and then um, and then they go into into a into like a hot tub. And then back into an ice bath. Back into, I don't know the reason why. Mm. Um, I always just thought it was because they wanted to, guess, strengthen themselves, and it looks pretty tough yeah. after that. You know, oh, if they've well, done a big well, CrossFit workout. Well, mm, you know, just th- reminds me of you know when you're at a when you're at, when you're in a jacuzzi and you go, oh, let's go and dip in the cold water. Like, <laughs> yes, that's hard. Yeah, it is. It's not a. That's not it a. Is. That's not a. It's a. It's, it's easy a, if you've got mates around that you want to impress. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, physically it's still difficult. Yeah, well, there's the the, the peer pressure um, it comes into it, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you man enough to jump in the cold water? Oh, don't be a pussy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah all that kind of bullshit. All that, that inner dialogue. All that locker talk. <laughs> <laughs> locker room talk. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. The boss does it. Yeah. The king of the world does it, so we're allowed to do it. Mm, Great mm. example. Great example, Donald. Mm. Oh, the Don. We listened to your compositions the other day. Yes, you did. That was a real treat. Mm. Fifty minutes of well, how do you how do you describe it? I guess I would describe it as a cinematic ensemble of compositions. Mm. It's not traditionally classical. It's more a bit of dead mouse in there. <laughs> mm. uh, <laughs> it's not really dead mouse. Um, a bit of synth. Yeah, there's a little bit of there. There's definitely um, a good. There's what I feel like is a a tasteful marriage of modern soundscapes with more orchestral soundscapes, mm. and um, I think that's what makes it special, man. Because you because mm. you're not just sticking traditional. Because it can be. I mean, that that's that, I think that that that's kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of partly why you're doing this because you were. You were trapped in the pop music box mm. and you were craving to get out. Mm. And the classical and, and composition world is is a much bigger box, if not an, an endless one. Well, it's always been in me. It's just been kind of lying dormant. And it hasn't been, if it was a part of me that had its own personality, I've only just started to get to really get to know it and mm. to allow it to manifest in my life and more specifically in my music. Yeah. Well, didn't you – yeah, you're right. You have always had it in you because didn't you just, for fun, when you were seven, recreate an entire Superman score? Well, it wasn't when I was seven, but um, <laughs> uh, but yes, yes. Um, it might have been, been a bit later than that. Um, but, okay, 12. Um <laughs> Uh, well, by from ear, just by by listening, mm. you went. Oh, can't find that online. I'll just make it. Well, I should have put it on the soundtrack. <laughs> you might have had some copyright problems. Yeah. Well, isn't it? How many hits has it got on YouTube? Uh not not many. It's got about. I think it has about a hundred thousand now. That's pretty good. 
Well, it's well, 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 what it made me what what it's no keyboard cat, but it's pretty good. No, no, well, those damn cats, they they're the um gatekeepers of YouTube, aren't they? Um, <laughs> yeah, those damn cats, damn cats. Uh, but they keep YouTube going. But what was wonderful about it is that I I knew that people were looking for it because I was looking for it and I went to search for it online and look on the forums and people were saying, why isn't this piece on the soundtrack? Right. I wish it oh, was. So on... it was, it was excluded from the, the official well, soundtrack. Well, sometimes they do that with movies is that they'll have a whole bunch of stuff that's written hours and hours of music. And um, in this case, it was Hans Zimmer, just so we are uh, clear about that. And, um, and there was a piece in that film in the, in Man of Steel that it wasn't put on the official soundtrack. So it just wasn't there. And I remember, you know, it's a lot to get through. So I remember searching through it and going, geez, where the hell is the soundtrack? And it's a pretty specific theme as well. Right. The theme isn't even in the rest of the soundtrack that was released on the CD. So you want, I'm not having this. I was like, I'll just, ah, God. I was like, oh, well. I'm going to have to make it then, aren't I? Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's 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 such it's such healthy anarchy. It's very healthy. It's like you're not you're not going to give it to me. I'll make it myself. <laughs> I'll just I'll just compose a symphony on my own. Mm. Well, brilliant. But that was the first sort of why did I do it? Well, you know why I did it. But yeah. But the fact that you were able to do it, I think, is what you were talking about. It's always in you, and you're like maybe maybe unconsciously or consciously that was why you did it. You were like, you know what? I want to see if I can. I want to see if I can arrange a symphony, arrange a, an orchestra. Mm. Well, it was already sort of arranged. I just um, pieced yeah, but, it back but together. But like, there's so many instruments. I can listen to, as a musician, I can listen to an orchestra and go, okay, it's arranged, but I can't pick apart what's going on. Mm. Like, it just all sounds like like your, your ability to, to get in there and just rebuild it from start to finish and have it sound almost 100% accurate, if not better. Well, the, um, well, while I'm blowing my own trumpet here, <laughs> um, the, um, cause I'd recreated the, that, the, one of the themes in, in Man of Steel, which was, which the soundtrack was composed by Hans Zimmer. But I also recreated the original Superman theme by John Williams. And that's on YouTube as well. And, uh, I did it with completely in the box with um, Reason. Do you remember that, that mm. software propeller head Reason? Well, yeah, that was like yeah. that was like on, on an Atari. Right, right. So I did it well. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> it's, a, it's more like PlayStation 2 or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, how does that one go? Um, well, you want me to sing it? Yeah. Well, I think everybody knows how it goes. How's, how's, how, how. No, but I love the way you sing whenever you sing, whenever, you, whenever I make you sing a theme song, mm. you always sing all the parts. <laughs> <laughs> the timpanis, yeah, yeah, all the, the brass. Well, I redid that, and that yeah. was an undertaking. Yeah, because I didn't initially think there wasn't a lot going on, but when I started to go into it, I was like, "Oh, this is this is a real masterpiece." Yeah, nothing I can't handle. Well, but I'll, you know, <laughs> um, it's going to take me a couple of hours, but I'll. <laughs> that's very impressive. I'm giving you a lot of shit about it, but well, I'm trying to figure out how to respond because it's so. Out of all the music I've made, we used to play in a rock band together. I've we made did. 
I've made a lot of acoustic music with Ollie, uh, with my friend Ollie. I've made bucket loads of pop music. <laughs> Out of all of the music I've made, this seems to come the most naturally. Hmm. And so I guess I feel like it's all good and well to to comment on how impressive it might be. But for me, it's, it's really, uh, I guess there are other parts about it that impress me separate from the con the construction of it the, the the construction itself yeah yeah right so for the, so for you the actual i think it's the music it's the yeah. it's the choices it's the musical choices yeah the construction is of you know that's a yeah i, yeah, well, I think i take it for granted perhaps well i think it's also because yeah you, you, i mean you 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 understand the language so well that the construction side of it is more so just construction it's not what can we do with this building. It's it's quite it's, it's could, quite logical, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it, you're already there with all that stuff. You go, yeah, of course that goes there, that goes there, that goes there. But then, what do we do with that? That's where the magic is. Well, um, one of my favorite composers. Uh, let's see if I can pronounce his name right. Joe Hasai Has Has Ishi. No, you, it, I mean that that would be classed as a fail. Okay. Yeah, you definitely got that wrong. R great. I don't know his name. Well, anyway, he composed a lot of the the Studio Ghibli films, which is a anime Japanese film production. Butchered that, and um, <laughs> and he was doing he was being interviewed, and, and and he was talking about his process, and he said that the construction of it, the putting together all the pieces, a lot of it, he said, a lot of it was very logical like the way he put it together was logical but somewhere along the line somewhere during the process the soul would enter the music mm. yeah Rem which kind of reminds me of how the question of when does the soul enter the body when mm -hmm. it's born or mm -hmm. when it's conceived mm -hmm. it's kind of like that it comes together constructively but then there's a transcendent element that starts to starts to emerge, mm. and when I heard him speak about that, I thought, "Oh, there's something about that for me that that resonates. That's that's right." When I feel like I'm composing, yeah, I feel like I'm making it, and sometimes I have a reason for making it. I go, oh, "This is this is about this," but most of the time, it's just coming. It's just appearing. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's almost like it's coming. It's coming through you. Yes, and you're just d notating. You're just putting it down. Right, right. And somewhere during that process, and I don't know when it is. What happens is I I go, oh, it's there. But yeah, then right. I but when when did it when, when did, did it, it arrive? Exactly. I go, yeah. oh, it's oh, it's alive now. But I don't know when. Yeah. And I think that's it's like that with with. With making music in general. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it just somehow comes alive at some point. Yeah, and it kind of it's very very elusive when it when <clears> as to when that happens. But that's why you can't rec you can't just easily recreate your process. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well that's yeah, I guess because you can slave away over something for hours and days and weeks and it's just not you know it's in there, but it's just mm. not quite hitting the spot. And then something comes up and you're like, Oh, there it is. It's alive now. Mm. It's it's it, it feels right. Right. Well, if you try to recreate the process in the same way that you did, the reason why it doesn't work is because you're not taking into account that 
unexpected element that, mm. that, that that part of where it and then you can kind of try to do it but then it well in my experience when i try to do it like that music by numbers right it just it's lacking that one little well it's special. kind of like that to begin with like yeah. i said but it's somewhere along the line it just inhabits it yeah i think uh, for me anyway that seems to be what what it feels like for a lot of pop music these days it seems like it's it's we we're playing rocket league yesterday and listening to some pop edm and it just seems like join the dots fill, fulfill the formula and the song will do well but there's no there's no soul to it and it's all it all ticks all the boxes and it's mm. it's unoffensive and it has the build up and it feels good here and these chords are nice but well, you know? well, it's almost like there is a soul, but it's a very young soul. Right, right. It's a very. It it doesn't have that 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 weight that that that. There's no wisdom in it. Hmm. Something yeah, that's like an interesting that. way of putting it. Yeah, because it's still it can still move you. Yeah, but it might. It's it, more bite sized, you know. Right. It might. Yeah. It might not be as. Um, you know, listening to that song that we were listening to on the Rocket League. As opposed to listening to, I don't know, one of Mozart's pieces. Yes, it's like completely yeah, opposite ends of the spectrum. Right, right. You know, a, a young yeah. soul versus an old soul. Yeah, yeah. Very valid point. I mean, uh, yeah, the, the Mozart pieces there. It's a, it's a linear journey mm. that is exploring so many ideas mm. and and deep emotions. Whereas the pop song is. Meant to accompany a, a video game where you and I try not to break the controllers. <laughs> well, it makes me very angry. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes me angry too. <clears throat> it's um, mm. it's a, it's one of those weird things. It's like it's like, I mean, you know, they talk about how video games and drugs are very addictive. It's like, honestly, it's like drugs because there are a lot of times when I play Rocket League where I. The idea of it is great mm. and then when I'm playing, I kind of think, am I having fun? Mm. And then I finish and go, did I enjoy that? Do I? What's my state now that I'm done playing? Well, Was that a good thing for my life? I don't think it was. But yet the next day, oh, I've got to play some Rocket League. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, if I've left the game feeling more stressed out than I came into it, then... That isn't an experience I would like to recur. Uh, yet, yet, that's repeat. usually what we do. Yeah, well, it's addictive. Like, yeah. let's let's be let's be real about it. Um, we did win eleven two one time last night. Yeah, well, now that is addictive. Yeah, because it's like there's no guarantee. It's exactly like playing the slots. There's no guarantee that you're going to win. Although there is a lot of skill involved in this particular game as opposed to playing the slots. Mm. But yeah, Rocket League is just soccer with cars mm. that can fly if you have enough boost. Wonderful game. So there is a bit of skill. So if you're playing with or against someone epic. Oh, you're done. You're done. <laughs> you're, you're, done. You, 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 you're done in this town. Yeah. Um, but no, there is an extremely addictive element. Uh, to to all video games, mm. and uh, when I grow when I was growing up, I I I was a massive 
video game, I want to say addict, but um, fan is probably a bit more. Yeah, well, what the consumer's culture would like you to be saying, right? That's probably more appropriate. Probably more. I was too. More PC. Yeah. Well, I have my. I have an. I have a natural inclination towards fantasy and towards a world that is unseen. Right. And so Zelda. Right. Right. <laughs> well, Zelda is one of them. I like. I, I love those Zelda. Games. Of course, you love Zelda. Um, all of them. Ocarina of Time. Right. Remember that? Yeah. I actually. You know what? I don't love Zelda as much as I thought I did. I actually haven't played that one. But um, oh, bro! But I played a lot of the the earlier Game Boy. Um, Old like like OG Zelda, like Link's Awakening. Oh wow! See, and, that's I don't even right. Which, by the way, they are um, they're re-releasing on Nintendo Switch. Are they? And, then, and they're redoing all the graphics, so it looks. Yeah, I think I wouldn't be able to tolerate if it was still a Game Boy. No, no, it, it looks like all 3D, and um, I'm buying a Switch just for that. <laughs> Amazing. They just haven't announced the release date yet. Yeah, but um, the fantasy worlds. Well, yeah, it's. Uh, I remember there was a time when I used to play. There was this game, the Star Wars game, huge Star Wars fan, and uh, I played it and I played it and I played it and I, um. And I remember one day playing it for so long that I started to feel sick, <laughs> and uh, and I was thinking mm, it's probably it's probably time to turn it off. It's probably time to um <laughs> to just stop playing altogether, uh, um because nobody was really intervening with it. Like, but what I'm what I'm trying to say with all of this is that replace the game with um I don't know alcohol or or uh, or um meth yeah yeah <laughs> and um that's a huge uh huge jump by the way and uh the compulsive behavior uh is um the same yeah well i i think and, and you're right it is a huge jump but the chances of a of a kid getting access to alcohol or meth or even enjoying it are much lower than a kid getting access to and enjoying a video game to the point where they feel sick you know so it's like Yes, it's 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 a big jump, but that's the thing that a kid can get addicted to from the age of four, three. Yeah, and that's not taking into account other things like frosties. Yeah, you know, cere- uh, like sugar-filled cereal. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and uh, just living a living a day in existence of addiction that is all kind of supported. Right. Have you have your frosties now? because you're all jacked up on sugar and you're making too much noise, go and play some video games. Yeah. Yeah. So that was me growing up. <laughs> um. <laughs> I think it's probably a lot of people, man. Mm, mm. Well, there, you know, as, having said that though, there is, there is a line where, you know, the video games genuinely become ridiculously bad for you. Like, I'm sorry, but Grand Theft Auto should not. The fact that that is legal mm. – to play a game where you, if you want to, can run around and just beat the shit out of strangers and cause massacres. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just gun down the police, all kinds of stuff. That's legal yeah. and very, very successful. Well, it's, well, it's, well it, is, it is age-restricted, so we do have, to give them, do have to give the devil its due. Yeah, but that doesn't do anything. No, it doesn't. Well, I remember downloading... Um, the one of the original ones on yeah. my computer. Oh, Grand I had it when yeah, when I was like twelve. Grand Theft Auto Vice City or something on the computer. The one where it was just you, you were looking from a bird's eye view. No, 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 no. It was more advanced. It was okay. it was it was 
it was that kind of third person vision uh third person perspective game mm. um graphics weren't as good but you know you could gun down whoever you wanted to gun you could go to the strippy strippies yeah um yeah you know you could live out any depraved you, fantasy you'd ever had right right and in I, in a re- in a real a kind of realistic world right and i was playing that at about i don't know 14 or something uh but yet you're not allowed to smoke weed <laughs> well that's illegal yeah well that's an interesting one because i yeah well if you're comparing it to that then that's yeah. probably i guess what i'm doing is yeah i'm pointing out the inconsistency in what we are and are not allowed to do with our minds well you're pointing it out and you're making it very obvious how bloody all over the place it is. Yeah. Like it's, you yeah. know, it's kind of like it reminds me of people getting sense, sentenced for crimes and their years, they, you know, they sort of go, oh, you'll have five years or you'll have 20 years or whatever and how inconsistent that is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, people getting, individuals getting sentenced to X amount of years in prison for some kind of financial crime mm. and yet someone who runs a corporation that does basically the same thing as that individual but to millions of people mm. gets off, nothing happens. You know, or there are people who, who rape people and do all kinds of horrible, horrible things getting the same kinds of amount of time in prison as people who have mm. embezzled someone. Well, yeah. Bit of a mess. It, it's a mess. Right. It's hard to... You know, you you try to do it case by case, um, mm. but you know we're also moving into a into a into a, a topic that I'm not familiar with. Oh, we're going to solve it here today, bro. Well, yeah, we've got it. We've got the answers. Well, the school came out of talking about addiction, didn't it? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that from what I've learned recently, I've been listening to this guy Gabor Mate. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. He's heard of him. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. He's he's been talking about the nature of addiction and how we're really starting to understand that it's not in any way what we initially thought or have been told that it was. And there's that wonderful example of Rat Park, the experiments they did on the rats where they gave the rats two bottles of water in an empty cage and one of the bottles had cocaine or heroin in it, the other one had water. So they would drink the one with the cocaine until they died and became addicted to it instantly. And then they did the same thing, same two bottles of water, but in their cage was basically what they called Rat Park. And there was other rats to play with, wheels to run around on food, all kinds of things that were fulfilled. Mm. Basically, they had things to do. And they didn't touch, they didn't touch the drug water, which, which, you know, these are rats. But the conclusion to draw, the obvious conclusion that is drawn from that is that addiction doesn't necessarily come from the substance. It comes from the individual and their fulfillment in their life. Mm but we tend to want to demonize the activity or the substance or whatever it is that they're addicted to mm. rather than addressing the individual's fulfillment. Mm. Wow. Very well said. Oh, thanks, man. I mean, I've ripped that off Gabo Mate and Johan Hari, but I'll take the credit. Thanks. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, that's uh, as you were saying that, I was just thinking about myself as a little rat. And, <laughs> oh, back, um, back when you were a little rat? You are well, no, now. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And uh, no, I was just thinking about myself in a little rat world and in mm, mm. a little rat park and, and thinking about how, 
you know, my experience of addiction. Addiction is an interesting thing. It, 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 the word addiction is in of itself a kind of an abstraction because it refers to, for me, it refers to something that that cannot be seen but experienced. And as I've been going to therapy and and voluntarily working on making myself a, a, a more fulfilled individual, the experience of the addiction starts to lose its potency. Yeah, well, you, you, you're, it sounds like you are removing anything external from the situation and just kind of diving in and trying to figure out why it's affecting you, you know, getting out of that victim mentality. Is that, does that sound accurate? Yeah, well, that's the first thing that you kind of have to admit. Well, the first thing that I had to admit was I had to ask myself, and I kind of learned this from from uh, from uh, Jordan Peterson, is to ask yourself, what have I done wrong? Hmm. What am I doing wrong? What am I still doing right now that I could f- stop doing in order to make my life better than it currently is? Yeah. And then all of the stuff I've done, well, that's the that's the work that I've been doing through therapy, is look, kind of looking at the looking at the the past experiences. Well, if they're childhood experiences, I'm looking at them as an adult, and I'm seeing them in an entirely new way. And there's something very healing about that because the experience that happened that I held on to, and we we're talking earlier on about how when something stressful happens, you hold on to that. Mm. You hold on to it for, you know, the next 10, 15, 20, sometimes your whole life. Yep. And to be able to revisit that and reconcile with it and know that, huh, maybe it wasn't such a big deal or maybe it was a big deal and I need to not compartmentalize it and actually give it its due. Yeah, and and really go into dive it. into it, right? Take responsibility, or or yeah, at least witness it and give it its time. Mm. Well, if it's still hanging around, well, then it's probably pretty. Well, oh. the experience of it is obviously something to be addressed if it's still hanging around. Whether it whether or not it was a big deal or it wasn't, it's it's still real to yeah. you. Yeah, but that's it. But that that is a very very different approach than the behavior or the substance that that the individual is addicted to is is that is the complete nature of the problem that's completely opposite to what to what the past models of addiction have been right well when you demonize the substance you take the responsibility off yourself right right and you look for an antagonizer to convict condemn and Really, the devil's in you. You know, we don't want to condemn ourselves, but we want to be able to look at the part of ourselves that's capable of destruction. This is a lot of what I've learned from our, our mate Peterson. Yeah. And it's been really helpful for me. Well, the, one of the other things he said, which was real wonderful, is really affected me, which was, you're too powerful to be naive. Hmm. And my interpretation of that was if you allowed yourself to completely embody all of the dangerous parts of you unknowingly, 
that would that would destroy yourself it would destroy you it would destroy the people around you and so you have to you have take, to take the wheel yeah, take control have, right you have to become a become aware of those things and yeah look it's easier said than done still things that happen in my life that i become painfully aware of and i go oh geez i'm still quite ignorant but just that awareness in itself that's the step that's that's probably the hardest step to be able to look at it in your own life and go hang on what mm. what did i what did i just do then why why do i feel why do i feel crap why have i had a crap day and then kind of backtrack and be able to look at it instead of just going oh i feel crap what was me mm. well there's a wonderful book uh, by a man named robert johnson it's called he understanding masculine psychology and the main quest of the of the character that he's analyzing the main quest is for him to go to the grail castle the holy grail and ask a question and the question is whom does the grail serve and at the end of the book it talks about how it doesn't matter if you can answer the question it just matters that you ask it mm. and that is the same as it doesn't matter if you know what's going on as long as you're aware that you don't know the answer well wow. something like that now i kind of just totally brushed past a, an incredibly dense piece of literature because there's a lot in there but that's, that's the, one of the, one of your your key takeaways oh there's there's a lot of key takeaways from that um but uh yeah it's it's certainly it's a wonderful there's a lot of forgiveness in that. It's like, yeah. okay, you don't have to know, but as long as you're making an effort. Yeah. Uh, an honest, sincere effort. Rather than just, yeah, making the effort to seem like, you know, kind of virtue signaling that I'm doing it. Rather you actually have to be doing it. Well the well, another manifestation of that is trying to trying to fix things externally in order to escape from the things that need fixing internally. The mm. things that that you need to address in your in internal world. Yes, yes, yeah. and that happens all the time. Overly people. fussing over, yeah, your physical external world. And well, I mean, you you see it with people getting into relationships with people that need saving. Quite often, there can be people who have a pattern where their they, their partner always mm. is this downtrodden person who needs saving. Well, there's a story there. Yeah, that's being played out, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Mm. It's easier to save someone else than it is to. Save yourself. Well, it's actually not. I guess it seems that way for these individuals. Right. Then. It's a. Yeah. It's a. It's a. <clears throat> it's yeah, because the, you never end up saving them. No. Well, you? it's the lie that the character tells themselves that they have to realize is not, not, not the truth. Mm. Um, and that's the whole character arc of realizing. Oh, actually, I, I was, I was wrong about that. Um, it's not easier to save somebody else than it is yourself. You. You. you, you it's. In fact, it's almost impossible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's only a certain level of understanding you can have of another individual, especially if you don't really understand yourself because you're trying to avoid it, then, yeah, all the best. Well, that's, again, Jordan Peterson. I think he got this one. I think he got this one from the Bible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> set your house in order before yeah. you uh, criticize the world or something like that. Yeah, yeah something like that lets me sort of trivializing how Paraphrase. profound that statement is because it really is you can't go out there and try to fix things if you know your house is literally a mess psychologically and ex 
externally. Yeah. Yeah, that one that one really resonated with me and I think it really resonated with most – a majority of the people that became fans of his. That mm-hmm. kind of – on the surface it seems so simple and then you dive into it and you, and you actually understand when you start setting your house in order emotionally and physically mm. or clean up your room, whatever it might the, the, mm. It's like it, it is deeply profound. It's so profound because at the, the macro level it's totally practical. Yeah. But at the micro level, it's practical as well. Cleaning your room is actually just as powerful as cleaning your mind, you mm. know. I mean, they are one and the same, if, that, if I think, I yeah. think that's the... Yeah, I, I think so. You can't have a perfectly organized mental schedule and, and be living in a pigsty. Well, you probably can, but I would imagine it's very rare. I guess it just depends on the personality of yeah. the individual. We, um, you've seen him twice now, haven't you? Yes. We yeah. went together that one time. Yeah. And it, it changed my life. It was it was huge. I remember your your uh, your significant other saying uh, that uh, after you had gone that you yeah you, that things were quite different after that. Yeah. Yeah, so it even even she knew that yeah. uh, that it had done something. Mhm. Yeah, it's um he's 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 rough on a lot of feathers, but he's certainly making an impact. I thought you were saying he's rough around the edges. <laughs> he's rough because he's, no, he's too. Yeah, well, I mean, he's 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 pretty eloquent, but <clears throat> man, people hate him though so much. Well, uh, the haters are the loudest. People at the margins are the loudest. I have a theory too on on why they hate him and why the people that hate him hate him, and I think it's because you've seen in the Big Lebowski. There's that line where he says, "You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole." Mm. And because Walter's, you know, carrying on and he's like, am I wrong? Am I wrong? And he's, and he's being real aggressive and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I think that that could be the case for some people. If they're, if they're confronted with, with a man who is kind of laying it out the way Jordan Peterson does and calling them out, maybe not specifically personally, but it feels very personal. And he's very stern the way he, the way he carries himself. Mm. If, that that doesn't resonate with people if they don't like being told something in that manner. It doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. Right, You're right. being an asshole, so that's all I'm going to focus on. Yeah. Well, if you don't like somebody, some if you if you if you just inherently don't like somebody, then you're not going to listen to them. Yeah. So it's you, hard to build if there's no rapport built. Yeah. Yeah. I think people were finding it difficult to actually sit and just go, you know, I'm just going to take it in anyway, even though I hate the way he's talking to me. It's quite difficult, yeah. yeah. Whereas I actually really like the way he talks. So do I. And I, you know, and, I, and, and clearly a lot of other people do as well. Mm. Um, because at the point in my life where I discovered him, it was just what I needed. I needed a bit of a slap. I, I needed a, a very strong masculine figure in my psyche up until that point it hadn't been cultivated Hmm. Hmm. there was a talk he did where uh, somebody had asked or not asked he they they had sent they had given him a letter and he and the the person in the letter was talking about how how they'd done ayahuasca and he had turned up in their ayahuasca trip oh yes i think i saw this right and they and he he was reading it out to his to the um to the audience and the person said, I decided to ask Mother Ayahuasca, what is, you know, what is Jordan Peterson doing here? Mm. Like, what is his purpose? And, and she replied 
Jordan Peterson is here to invoke the masculine principle. Now, for me, that's exactly what had happened. Mm. Okay, I agree. I, 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 same for me. Yeah. Yep. Is is that a time when I when I needed a strong masculine energy and and it's and and to, you know sometimes you've you've just got to be like it doesn't matter how you feel about these rules or these ideas. Mm. That doesn't make them incorrect. Mm. It doesn't mean that this won't help you. And you can kick and scream and throw a tantrum about not liking the principles. Mm. But if you just do them, things will get better. The first time I ever watched a Jordan Peterson video, he was doing a lecture at a university and he was talking about psychedelics. And I don't think I would have gotten into his stuff had I not found him through that way because it wasn't until a few months later that I watched another video and I was like, oh, I remember that guy. I remember that guy's face. And then you listen to the other things that he had to say. Right, right. Yeah. But he was just talking about psychedelics to this to all these students and yeah, he was right. like, We don't understand we don't understand a thing about what these what, what these things are. And, yeah. And um and yeah. that was quite interesting. I was like, Oh, what a what a what an interesting video. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. He's right. Because we really we really have have no idea what, you know, if on a scientific level, we just we just don't know what's going on. We don't know where we go. Well, um, it's it's a shame that they're they're lumped together with the rest of the the, the drug fa- drug family, yeah. the uh, the illegal drug family. Yeah. And the, and and the other thing demonized. is a shame is that alcohol is not. People talk about drugs and alcohol. They don't put the alcohol gets a free pass when it's the most used intoxicant that there is. Mm. Yeah. Well, I stopped. I mean, I've had a couple of couple since I've stopped, but I I stopped making it a regular part of my life about mm. two years ago. And that was a good decision because before that, well, I've, since I've, since I've picked it up again, uh, you know, on the odd occasion, it just makes me feel less articulate. I, I can't pull myself together. I, I feel like I'm making a fool of myself and maybe I was doing that before, which I clearly was. That's why I stopped, but I just didn't know I was doing it. Mm, it's that same thing. You, once you become conscious of it, at least you're trying to, at least you're focusing on it. Mm. I, 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 yeah, I don't, I, I kind of stopped getting drunk. Mm. I'll still have a few drinks, but as soon as I start feeling it, it's just, it's just not fun for me anymore. It used to be mm. so fun, man. When I was, you know, when I was 19, 20 and mm. uh, it was so fun. I could not wait to go and get, and I'd get shit faced. Mm. I'd get mm. I'd just binge drinking, man. Well, when it was new, yeah, it was extremely fun because yeah. it was like, Oh, I can do this to myself. Yeah. I can put myself in a state that makes me more extroverted, that makes me feel nice and tingly and yeah. and, 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 and removes my stress. Right. And removes my problem, you know, my stress, yes. Yeah. Um and it was new. It was like, oh wow, I yeah. can consciousness is different. This is a thing? Wow. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I had the same sort of well, not the same, but a much more magnified reaction of that when I first tried mushrooms. Mm. When I first tried LSD, and uh, <clears throat> sorry, mum, um, <laughs> um, and it's her turn next. Well, you know, uh, everybody gets one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Is that what you say when you when you hand them out? There you go. Everybody gets one. Everybody gets one. Here's your mushroom. Yeah, put that on your tongue. <laughs> because that was, I that was about four years ago now. Yeah. 
it's a paradigm shift, isn't it? It's so difficult to put into words how much it changed my life. But I mean, and as as you say, though, coming back to when you compare it, and you probably shouldn't, but comparing it to alcohol, the experience was is is the same. Coming from the same place, you 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 put something into your body, and you feel and perceive yourself and the world and others differently, mm. and it's exciting. Right. So I get it, and 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 I you know I still get drunk every now and again. But as far as I used to only drink to get drunk, whereas now that that experience is not enjoyable for me. I, I, as soon as I really start to feel it, I'm I'm not having fun. Mm, mm. Was well, that I used to not have fun until I was really feeling it. Right. Yeah. A phrase just came to me, and it was when I drink alcohol, I'm dampening reality, but when I take psilocybin. I'm expanding reality or dampening my perception of reality, expanding my perception of reality. Mm-hmm. That sounds, that to my opinion, seems very accurate. Mm. Mm. Very, very accurate. You don't really hear too many stories of people having <laughs> profound, visionary, life changing experiences on seven shots of whiskey. I was trying <laughs> to think about what alcohol brand you were going to use. <laughs> I was going to go with tequila, but I had some tequila the other night and really enjoyed it. So yeah, you didn't want to. I didn't want to. Didn't want to shit on tequila. I can't do brown spirits, man. Mm. Like I used to when growing up in the country. It was all we had. We had Bundy rum and Coke on tap. Mm. That's just fighting juice, just sugar and alcohol and just aggression. Just aggression in a Mm. in a beverage. Mm. Speaking of spirits, brown spirits. I was talking to. a good, a couple of really good friends, Jen and Lauren, yesterday, and Lauren was telling me this this tale about how there are. I'm probably going to not do this justice, but there are there are people who can who who can see energy, and I don't know how I feel about that because I can't. So it's easy for me to poo poo it and go, "You're full of shit." What a wonderful <laughs> way to save yourself, but seem skeptical at the same time. Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to. Yeah. I'm really just trying to balance on the fence. Yeah. You know? Yeah, good. It's like a tightrope, but I'm, I'm 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 managing. Yeah, well, you have to be with this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So look, I'll go down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's pretend he this people these people have an experience that I that I don't have, which is not mm-hmm. it's just not implausible by any stretch of the imagination. So there's there's people who can see energy. It comes off people, the aura, the energy, whatever you want to call it. Mm. And apparently when, when you drink, your soul or your spirit detaches from your physical body. You, it always stays tethered, and, but it kind of floats above you. And, and these people who can see these auras and energies can see a drunk person and can see their spirit or soul detached from their physical body. Mm. Well, even psychologically, that makes sense. Yes, yes, because you're, you, you're removed from yourself. You're, you're, you're certainly not grounded when you're drunk. No. You are floating off. Even though it feels grounding, it's... No, I don't know if it feels grounding. Well, I guess, if, I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is if you feel like you've had a really stressed out day, you know, people will be like, oh, God, I just need a, I need a drink. Mm. You know, they want to they kind of get back to... I guess what seems like a grounding place, but it's more like mm. a numbing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. But no, that that I I don't know about the specifics of that, but I totally believe that that's what's happening psychologically. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I mean, as skeptical as I want to be, it feels pretty right. That kind of well, that it, kind of analogy. You know, I I shouldn't I shouldn't um, be so dismissive about that because 
it's an image. It's a it's a it's an accompanying image of something that is happening on a energetic level, and you know whether you if you if you're seeing it, then you're you're tapping into that image. Um, you know, images come to us when we're when we're dreaming. They come. They're 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 a part of the imagination, and and so maybe somebody could have a very strong connection to those inner images. Mm-hmm. And they externalize them onto the to the world around them. Mm-hmm. And and if you are one of those people, how do you f- how do you fit in? Because the moment you start telling people that this is your experience, people go bullshit. Well, you you just can't. Yeah, I mean, you just got to you just got to surround yourself with trusting people that you trust. And mm. but yeah. again, if if it's even real, well, I guess there's a lot of there's a lot of. Um, Charlatans, well, yeah, and con people out there. Well, that's who we're who we're um, scrutinizing. But, 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 but people who are intuitive and have a uh, an inclination towards images and inner worlds, or worlds that have the metaphysical, metaphysical, be a good word for it. World, a world that is not typically seen by the the layman. Mm. You're saying people that have. That are able to see those things. Right. They're wise not to speak about them. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's certainly not encouraged. Well, also because... Or supported. Well, also because there's a great quote. I can't remember who said it, but it was something like, those who know do not speak, and those who speak do not know. (laughs) And if you are in touch with that metaphysical plane, then to speak about it is to betray the very essence of it because it isn't speakable. It's unspeakable. And so... Yeah, it's incredibly difficult to do it justice. It's also incredibly subjective. It's like, yeah. yeah, good point. And it's kind of what psychedelic experiences are. It's like, hey, bro, I had this experience where I you know, saw um, the map of the universe on the table and it was coming alive. And it's like, well, yeah, that happened for you. Yeah. To me, that sounds like, yeah, you can easily go, well, to me, that sounds like nonsense. Right. It sounds like, you know. I can't, I can't yeah, I don't understand. But that yeah. being that being said, I mean, there are spaces where you can speak about this. The therapy that I'm going to at the moment is, you know, and now, now I'm sort of feeling the resistance to speak about it because I just said not to speak about it. But I'll, <laughs> yeah, but I'll, yeah. <clears throat> I'll just tell you what it is, but I you know, won't go into it too much because it is my own subjective personal experience. Yeah. But I go to a Jungian analyst and Carl Jung, a lot of his work involved taking the images that people had inside themselves, taking them seriously and figuring out what was happening in them and how they related to the psyche and, and how experiences in your life could be represented symbolically by stories and characters and and a lot of this would happen in your dreams but it could also happen in your waking life as well it could happen in in a in a daydream in in your imagination mm. and this is very difficult stuff to to um articulate to somebody who doesn't have a inclination towards the metaphysical yeah it's very easy to dismiss well, if, you, if you've had no, if you've never had any experience with it. Just go, ah, it's talking shit. Well, it just sounds like 
it sounds like, you know, say you, you, you had a, you felt like there was a, a snake in your body and, you know, there isn't literally a snake in your body. It's, it's a symbol, but to somebody that sounds like a psychotic episode. Yeah. And so you're good. I mean, yeah, you're right. You're right. There, there's so much that's lost in translation and that's so much that's, that's, that's personal and, and understood only by the individual. But it's that I think something in in this in this realm that we can all relate to, anybody I think, if you get into an elevator with a stranger, and they don't happen to look overly sinister, but sometimes you're in the presence of someone, and you just don't feel right about them. Mm. Something feels off. Mm. I think that most people can relate to that, and that I think is this exact thing that certain people feel incredibly strongly. In, and who knows to what extent. Maybe they can see something. Maybe to some people, they get into that elevator with that guy and he's giving off a, like a blue tinge or something. Mm-hmm. That might be an individual's experience who's very naturally in tune to that stuff. Mm. I don't get that. Mm. So I can sit here and go, that doesn't happen. But that doesn't mean that doesn't happen for them. Mm. Which is, this stuff is so intriguing to me. I'm so skeptical but I so badly want to be proven wrong and I'm, and, I, and I'm so intrigued by it. Mm. Well, what makes me skeptical about it is the way it's dressed because I, th- I do believe that people's experiences of these, I guess, metaphysical phenomena and supernatural phenomena is not to be dismissed. Um, but as soon as you try to say what it is, this kind of, kind of got, is in line with speaking about something you know, as soon as you try to go, oh, well, it's that, or it's, um, you know, it's some kind of new age mindfulness, uh, money grabbing, astrological, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that, yeah, right, it, it doesn't, well, it loses its, uh, it betrays the essence of it. It, it, mm-hmm. it. Whatever it was that was subjective is now objectively hard to swallow you can't trust it you just yeah exactly it's very difficult to trust and it's you're totally right it's ruined that being said though um i used to be pretty impressionable and naive uh and was in a i used to be in a place where i was very much looking for those kinds of answers the answers that that were not not to be journeyed after um lightly and found myself in all kinds of situations and you are are, are much more of a skeptic than I am and you've certainly um I've been to the school of Mark's school of skepticism that's for sure um I'm gonna force it upon you well I? it helped a lot are you, ta- are you talking about the time we almost joined a cult uh well <laughs> <laughs> uh. well it's up there with those kinds of uh <clears throat> Well, it's um, well, should we cover it? Let's well, get it. We haven't talked about it for a while. Well, I'm interested to see what kind of angle you'll come at it with. So why not? Well, when was it? Probably three years ago. Let me get some order for this one. All right. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was. It was. Can you get me some too? <laughs> I'll I'll go fuck myself then. Thanks. Um. Yeah, I think it was probably three years ago and we joined a meditation group. A friend of ours invited us to go and join it and, and she told us that it would be quite 
different to any other meditation that we've done. Um, and I'm sure that at, at that remark, I made some stupid joke about, oh, is it, is it naked meditation or, you know, we're we going to, you know, something like that. Um, and we weren't really told much about what it was. And we were told, but we were told that we may have some visionary experiences because this, the man who's leading the meditation, thanks mate, is a supposedly an enlightened being, which I mean, I was like, great. I want to meet this fucking guy. I was very intrigued by that. I don't know what that means. I don't know who gave him that title, but I wanted to, I was like, let's go meet him. Let's see what he's all about. Does that sound so far? Well, all seems yeah, well, seems legit. Well, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah. Mm. And so we went to the meditation group. Yeah. And we sat in a semicircle around this dude and he looked at us. <laughs> he didn't tell us anything. No. We weren't really – like he talked. No. But he didn't tell us anything about oh, what yeah. was happening. Um, and I don't know about you but I fucking tripped out. Yeah. I had a very, um, I had a very powerful experience. Actually, I take that back. I had a very um, strange experience. Like you said, th- there wasn't really much said about it, but the the process was that he would look at everybody and kind of make his way around the semicircle, and he would spend like a few minutes on each person. Or a minute, oh, I don't know, a minute on each person, and then kind of go to the next person. Oh, it was, I think it was longer than that. Yeah, was it? It's like five or six minutes on each person. That's no. Nah. Yeah, man. That was that's. Yeah, because they because there'd be like ten people there, and the whole meditation would take, like one round of meditation would take over an hour. No. <laughs> yeah, bro. Nah, it was. It was loose. Well, some. We were sitting there for ages. Well. That's regardless, not... regardless, it was a, it was a chunk of time. He'd stare at each person. Right, and. As he was coming around, I could feel, <laughs> I could feel him. I could, I could, I could feel the presence of it. I could feel the sort of pressure. And then, even before he started looking at me, and I, I thought, so wow, did I. I had it, the exact. It same was thing. really something. Yeah. Um. And we were, I, you know, I think we were pretty, actually, pretty, um, pretty scared. Uh, I don't know what was going on. Like, yeah. I, like I, I was again. I was on the fence about this is utter shit. <laughs> but then the other part of me was like, "What if it's not? What if it's not? Let's well, see what the experience is." And the experience was crazy. Well, as he started to come around, I was looking at him, and the walls started to melt. Mm-hmm. They started to melt. <laughs> Same and, thing happened to me, and man. Everything was kind of like glowing, and and. And I was thinking, man, has he like gassed the room with psilocybin <laughs> yes. or, you know. Um, and uh, and then he came round and we were looking right at each other and it was like, it was like time stopped. And there was just kind of zooming in of my vision. And my heart was just beating out of my chest. And... Um, you know, if you were somebody like just who just walked in and you were looking, it looked like nothing was happening, mm. probably, because we don't because re- we were in it. So, um, but man, it was so 
It was real. It was actually really intense, dude. I, I, my experience was almost exactly the same as yours. The, when he looked at, as he was coming around to look at me, I was the anticipation was growing and growing, and I was felt the energy building inside my body. And then when he looked at me, I felt like time stopped and my heart was going to beat out of my chest, mm. and it was so intense. Mm. Now, my my rational brain wants to go. Okay, there was a few things that happened there that I never do in my life. I never sit in a meditation for that amount of time. Right. And I've never in, in my life had sat with in a meditation with my eyes open. And on top of that, I'd never looked, I'd never done it in a, in a group of strangers or looking into a stranger's eyes. Right. So it was quite like, it was quite unusual and unfamiliar. Yes. So did that cause a majority of what happened or was there some other metaphysical stuff going on i don't know right but but i think we when we both agreed in the past and i'm sure you still agree that that was the most incredible thing about this whole thing was the actual meditations were the only were were not the only but seemed to be the real thing there was something happening there and i can't explain it and it was phenomenal but other things happened that were less phenomenal (laughs) underwhelming (laughs) underwhelming (laughs) And look, it's not like we got raped or anything like that. Basically, it just ended up being. I ended up. We ended up going to the desert a few times, walking through the desert in the middle of the night, and and uh, and you'd be heavily sleep deprived. Yeah. So. And and look, we only sacrificed three or four children each time we did it. So. <laughs> Where'd you find the children? <laughs> we abducted them. But, you know, that was all part of the thing. No, there was no there was no human sacrifice. No. It was walking through the desert. It was sleep deprived that night. It was pretty harmless. Overall. Yeah. But what made us feel like it was becoming a little bit, um, what made us feel a bit uncomfortable about it uh, later on was, you know, I think every week we, we, we paid, how, I don't know, we paid like. It was like 20 bucks each 20 time. 20 bucks each that's time. a lot. And that's fine. That's totally, I mean, I think that's probably quite standard for meditation class. And, yeah. You know, because you're learning how to do it as well. Yeah. Now, when you go to an actual meditation class, actual, when you go to a, when you go to a, a. Legit. Medi- <laughs> when you go to a meditation class down in, you know, Studio City or whatever, you, wherever it is, and you sit down, they, they tell you, they walk you through stuff. Yeah. They tell you what's going on. We, we got nothing they're really. Earn, right. They're earning that, that, that. Like he would talk, but the, there wasn't really any answers about what was happening. It was all like, you know, he just, he would reference the astral plane and all this. And I was like, hang on, hang on, what's the astral plane? Well, and I was like, I didn't understand so many terms that were being used. Well, there was a lot of that. And that was what made it so, it was like, it was like it was assumed that everybody already knew all of the stuff. Yeah. And you could ask and be like, what is it? But then you'd feel like an idiot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because everybody else there knew. Yeah. And, exactly. And that kind of is, you know, that's fine because that's kind of what it's like when you go to a new class. But yeah, it was really out there stuff. And, you know, he told us to, told us to read the um, Carlos Castaneda books. And, and that was a, that was um, strange as well. Yeah. Uh, yes. Cause I remember that was the answer when, 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 when people, namely us would ask questions about what was going on the answer would ultimately be read carlos castaneda's books right I was like, oh, is that an answer have mm. you had mm. so many questions 
And then the other thing was it got to the point where, you know, there was like a subscription and a year-long thing that we got this email Mm. asking for all this money to join the year-long subscription. And then on top of that, we also found about how a guy that was his teacher was in the 80s and 90s doing all kinds of sinister shit and that just didn't seem legit. Well, it would have been okay if 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 he hadn't told us to go and listen to his teachings and read his books. It would have yeah. been all right, but yeah. it was he was, you know, it was like next to one of his teachings on YouTube is an interview with <laughs> exposing him. <laughs> and I was like, "Hang on a minute. This is yeah, not what I thought. Mm. I mean, so we left. We stopped doing it. But who knows what well, where, where they are now? Well, Mark, you stopped going before I stopped going. <laughs> I kept going, and um, all kinds of things started to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, yeah. no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It, it was pretty uneventful after you left. Yeah, well, I mean, it was pretty uneventful even when I was there. When uh, Other than the, these incredible meditations, everything else was just like, it was, you know. Well, you know, the meditations were like, it's definitely worth just talking about that. Yeah. Because I started to, you know, they told us, we're, 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 doing, we're, we're doing a complete no-no right now by just talking about it because, you know, it was, it was said multiple times. Don't talk about Don't this. Don't talk stuff. about this. Yeah, like, but, and, 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 like Fight Club. And yes, with, and, here's, and here's the thing where I'm torn. There's part of me that's like, oh, this is really disrespectful. But it was also like, are you trying to fuck with me by telling me not to tell anybody any of this stuff and you're not really telling me anything? Mm. Like that was the thing that kind of went, hang on a minute, this feels suspect now. Right. I'm not getting enough information and you're telling me to keep this a secret. Am I being brainwashed by you staring into my mind? Like what's actually well, going on? Well, so that's that I guess that we can we can we can go into that a bit more because I started to um I started to do that meditation with people I knew just cuz because you would do it you could do it across from someone. Yeah. And just look into their eye, you choose an eye, you look into their left eye or whatever. Mm. And you could have that experience just between two individuals, mm, it was epic. It was wonderful, and I and I I I used to just share it with everybody because I was like, yeah. "Hey, you want to see something cool?" Yeah, and um, sit down with them and 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 you know, yeah, I've done it with with friends too. Right, right. However, what the context I think of that was, hey, we're friends, and this is you know, I I I have an affection for you, and and my intentions are good. Right. Whereas you're not a stranger. <laughs> Like like a stranger doing it to you for the first time was kind of like what one I don't know what capabilities this what what you are capable of doing to a person by staring directly into their eyes for fifteen minutes mm. and two what if what if I stare at you and you agree to do it and you're open and we're sitting there doing this meditation and and I say to you oh it's all love and positivity mm. but my intention is you will give me all of your money <laughs> yeah. You will commit yourself to me. And I'm saying that in my own mind. Right. We don't know really what happens when that is when 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 that's the intention, really. I and and I have to say it scares the shit out of me. I believe that if someone I believe you could brainwash someone by doing that. I don't know if you could measure it scientifically, but I reckon there's something about that that's pretty scary. Oh. If the other if each person's intention is not good. 
and open. Mm-hmm. One person's really open and the other person's trying to, trying to instill something into them with their yeah. thoughts. I don't know. It just feels feels yeah. wrong. Feels a bit creepy to me. No, I, and we don't know I that agree. he was doing that. That's not what I'm saying. But yeah. the point is, is that the uncertainty and the lack of answers, and then the money, asking for more money and and subscriptions and stuff was like, nah, I'm done. Mm. I'm, I don't like this. Well, what made it extra questionable was the talk about self-realization and liberation and enlightenment those were the three stages that's right and it was something like there's a timeline well if you spend three four years meditating every day on your third eye then you'll become self-realized and to my knowledge self-realization means to completely understand one's self Mm. and i'm not really sure how meditating on your third eye uh, would achieve that but then it would be like, okay, but if you spend an extra six, seven years, you'll become liberated. And it takes about 12 years to become enlightened. Yeah. And, um, well, <laughs> and those numbers. If there's, if there's anything you're not supposed to talk about, it's about <laughs> being enlightened. But those, Forget about Fight Club. But those numbers not, changed, though, as well. Yeah. They weren't, they didn't, they weren't consistent. It yeah. was so, and it was like, there was no guarantee that you'll get there either. Yeah. So, yeah, but as long as you keep paying a payment of uh, X amount of dollars every year and coming to meditation, I really, I would really like to know where, where it ended up. Me too. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I wonder if they're just doing the same thing, or if it's, or if the, the group disbanded, <laughs> well, or his... if, um, or if they're all living together on a, <laughs> on a plantation in a cult. Who knows? Plantation. What a, what a word. Um. Well, you know, I like to think that. It was totally harmless, and that 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 they, you know, they're doing the same thing. And yeah. but um, when you do the math, uh, doesn't look good. It doesn't. Look, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Mm, hey? No. Who knows? Uh, so look, we weren't in a cult. No. But it could something that could have turned into a cult. Well, it was. It 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 had intimations of a cult. Well, here's the thing that that that, and after learning about Darren Brown, right? Here's something that 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 I applied his methods of hypnosis and, and manipulation into a situation where what if he wanted to instead be a magician, what if he wanted to be a cult leader? Mm. So let's say, because what he does is, you know, these experiments, if you've seen them on, on Netflix, where like the push where he convinces, sees if he can convince a person through social conditioning and social norms and social pressures to commit a murder, mm. right? And... And he does it with like four people, but yet he doesn't do it with any normal person. He screens them first to find out how suggestible they are um, and how gullible is not a good word, but how, how manipulatable and suggestible and how, and yeah, and how much they will or will not stand up for themselves and only picks people that are highly suggestible. So and then months down the track, he does this experiment, and they don't know that it's an experiment, and they go along with it almost all the time. Mm. They do all kinds of things. So, what if instead of doing that, he wanted to start a cult, and he starts off with a meditation group or something, and and it's an open group, anyone can come in. You do it in a town like Los Angeles, where there's lots of open, creative type people who are searching. Right, great place to start. Mm. People come in. They sit, there's not, it's, it's pretty ambiguous. Maybe they have an amazing experience through the meditation or maybe they don't, but regardless, 
they have whatever they have. People come and people go. Some people are like, that was bullshit. Some people are like, wow, this is amazing. And there's in between. And not only do you have the meditative experience, but you interact with them after or before and, yeah. and you say certain things. Yeah. And a bit of a community experience. You hang out with friends, you know. Right, yep. right, right. Exactly. So that's fun. That's enjoyable. You have a little, like a group that you go to. Let's say 70% of people don't end up coming back very often. 30% do. Now let's say 10% of that 30% buy it wholeheartedly. If that's the case, you just need to keep going until you have a room full of people who buy it wholeheartedly. And then you can do whatever you want. Because these are the, this is not every person, but every person in that room now is someone who is on your side. And that, from these documentaries of cults that we've seen, that's how they start. They are the suggestible of the, the most suggestible of the suggestible. They're open and they're searching and they're following their leader. And, and Darren Brown's documentaries have shown that play out in, you know, little funny social experiments that well, he gets people to kill people. <laughs> Yeah, I guess the difference is he comes out at the end and tells them it's a... Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, I tricked you. Tricked you. Whereas the cults, you know, they get these devoted followers for years and years and years. Well, that one... Who do all kinds of things. What's that one? Um, holy hell. That was a real... That was a... That's fucked up. It's funny, but it's also fucked up. Well, what's really fucked up about it, um, and, well, there's a lot of things that are real fucked up about it, but... You know, you were just talking about how you have these people who are uh, extremely suggestible and impressionable. And I relate to that because I feel like I have been that person and they're still part of that in me. And what's really sad about it is uh, one, of, one of the things that is very sad about it is, is that that individual is genuinely searching for a part of themselves that, is, that hasn't been cultivated mm. or fostered they're looking for guidance right and they're projecting that out into this external situation in this case it's a a leader or a, uh, somebody to follow and i think it was terence mckenna who said something like to expect enlightenment from another individual is like a grain of sand Expecting enlightenment from another grain of sand. Yeah. It's not it's not in something else, whatever it is. It's it's inside of you. And the sad part about it is the the loss of that of that knowledge, the loss of, of a connection to the true self. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, you did right. It's 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 putting the it's putting it, instead of turning inward and trying to find the true self, it's going outward and putting it on the leader, and letting the leader, the, letting the leader tell you who you are and what you are, mm. even though they may be telling you the opposite. The fact that they're in that leadership role is kind of subconsciously doing that. Yeah, there's still a hierarchy. Well, so the danger of idolizing. It's um, you cannot, you ought to not worship something that or someone that is just like them you know mm. i mean that's why that's why people have god because it's something that they 
that that is that is transcendent. It's not. It's part of them. It's what brought them into existence, but it's it's incorruptible. You know, if you worship some somebody that's that's mm-hmm. that has that's capable of being corrupted. Yeah. You, yeah. You, it's over before it started. Yeah. And so often in those, and again, I'm not saying this is what the situation that we were in has turned out to be because we, as far as we know, it's just still a meditation group. But those things that do turn into cults, they're, they're corrupted either by, by their sexual desires or, the, or, or their financial greed or all of the above. It just gets, it gets messy. Okay, now. Yeah, well. Yeah. Cults, eh? Is there anything else you'd like to like to touch on? <laughs> um, when we were in a band. Mm. That was a good time. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like a cult, isn't it? I guess it is. I guess <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah, because we were certainly looking for followers. Yeah, actively looking, you know. We had a few. Yeah, we I I we did. We had people. We I I had um, one of them turn up to my parents' house one time. Uh, yeah, that's probably crossing the line a little bit. Um, but you invited me over, so I don't know what the problem was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say I'm not going to name any names, but um, <laughs> yeah, that was a good time. We used to tour New Zealand a couple of times. Well, it was quite a segue, but I guess it's um. I guess when I look back on that time, I, I, it's hard for me to remember it very well because of how impressionable I because of how naive I was, and so my memory of it is very um, cloudy. Mm. It's like a, it's like watching a first person video of you doing the things without really relating to the. Yeah, yeah. Well, I get it. I get why I was doing it, but. That was before the awakening. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to sound uh, grandiose about it. Um, but, um, but you know, it wasn't like, you know, we, we weren't a, a, a weed-smoking band. No. We weren't, a, um, we weren't like the Beatles where we no. were taking LSD and writing all kinds of um, psychedelic songs and, and having those kinds of experiences. We were a, a piss... Drinking cock rock. Yeah. yeah. Munt rock, I Munt think we were referred to as once. Munt rock. I never yeah. heard that one. Yeah, munt rock. We, 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 were very, we, were, we were very masculine. Yeah. And I think that I was trying to fulfill my masculinity through that. But the problem was is that it was a cheap imitation masculinity. It wasn't the true masculinity. Mm. It was definitely macho, but it wasn't. it wasn't the take responsibility for my own life masculinity it was the, <laughs> right. it was the it was like, oh there's a chick over there yeah yeah <laughs> i've got a guitar so when i look at it as a um part of my psychological development i can see that there were a lot of things there for me that were flying in the face of what i was of who i was of who of who i was at the time and but that all being said, it was uh, – I mean, you were real young too. What was it, eight years ago, seven, eight years ago? Yeah. Well, it started in – the band started in 2009, I think. 
Yeah, so so the gigs, the early gigs, you couldn't even drink. No. How did we even get you into the venue? Well, I couldn't drink, but I did. <laughs> Water pain. All those were the early days. That's when I started drinking, I think. That's when I discovered alcohol. Discovered it? Yeah, it sounds so... Um, <laughs> it wasn't that difficult to uncover. <laughs> it's pretty available. Yeah, well, I discovered what, how, how it felt. A couple um, of Cody's. Oh, uh, yeah, well, that's all it took. That's all it took. And you were rolling around the floor. Oh, man. Spontaneous karaoke. Yeah. Remember, you just start singing. Mm. <laughs> it was it was it was debaucherous, hedonistic, yeah. debaucherous. Yeah. But see, I could never do it, and I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of glorifying it because I couldn't I couldn't sing and get shit faced. So when you guys would all before you'd be hanging out with people before the show and then I after the show, I never got shit faced before. No, show. no, I'm not saying you got shit faced before the show, but hanging out with people and. I couldn't go and I couldn't go and That's talk to true. people because my, I'd lose my voice. Yeah. You know, talking over people in a bar is the best thing to do to lose your voice. I can yeah. sing for hours. You're right. But and then so after the show, if we had another show the next day, I couldn't I'd go to bed. Yeah, well you were here. See, here's the thing. You weren't very rock star about it, were you? No. Because that's very... Um, and I had a girlfriend the whole time. I know. You you totally... Who I was madly in love with. You, yeah. <laughs> I'm still in love with. Yeah, well, you... Played a nasty trick on me. That was meant to be my time. Well, that's the price you pay for... Um, Falling in love. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> stupid. Oh, no, no, no. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try that. Well, that was... It was kind of... It, it, it was... Me, on the other hand... You, you were great. Uh, you it you was really the, did it. I was the complete opposite of that because I... Um, was extremely uh, promiscuous and um, so much so that I uh, would just le- let you guys pack up and, you know, <laughs> go off and take 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 my soap and bag. Go, um, go, on a, go, on a, go on a date, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. Oh. With a fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, why am I laughing so hard at that? Uh, oh, it was it was it was epic, bro! It was awesome. Well, it was fun. Nothing was time. done that wasn't that that people didn't want to do. It was, no, it was great. Everything we went, was. Everything. We played music. It was. A, we gave people a good time. We had a good time. And then now you're right. I guess I'm looking at it through a particular particular lens. Um, but uh, at the time, it was uh, the time of my life. And it was uh, also, you know, figuring, you know, so young, trying to, f- what were you, 19, well, I wasn't, 20s? there was no figuring out who one was. Well, maybe you didn't realise you were, but. There yeah. wasn't any of that <laughs> at all. It was all just, let's play another show, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Let's go. Come on, let's write, let's write yeah. the next album. Yeah. You know, we wrote some great songs and um, played some, played some pretty amazing shows. I mean, we opened for, we opened for Def Leppard. Mm-hmm. We opened for. Slash, mm-hmm. um, ZZ Top, ZZ Top. That's right. That one was epic. It was. That was huge. Was Fifteen thousand people. Definitely the biggest show. I mean, see, that's an experience that I'll take all the way to the to the grave with. You yeah. know, that's a that's an amazing. You know, not many people get to to say that they've done that. Yeah. Remember Stadium Mode? We coined a phrase called Stadium Mode, where when you're in front of that many people. Mm. You just lose complete control of what you do. Well, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like an ego death, isn't it? Yeah. It's or it's like the ego completely consumes you. <laughs> it's the opposite of an ego death. Oh, yeah, you're right. I started screaming. I've made noises with my voice in stadium mode that I've that I'm incapable of making. Hamilton. <laughs> 
It's like you could hear my vocal cords slapping against my throat. Yeah, well, when you get up in front of 15,000 people, uh, you know, you better... You better bring your masculine shit. <laughs> you better, bring your A-game, man. You better come out um, uh, uh, swinging. All know, guns blazing. Guns man. blazing. That's yeah. the, that's we were the, so pumped for that show. We were so pumped. And you nearly had an, ana, an anaphylactic reaction beforehand. Did I? But you powered through. Uh, right, yeah. Had some fish glazed with egg. Um, That'll get egg, you. Egg allergy. Yep. Yeah, oh, don't ruin this for us, Jim Oz. Yeah, I didn't remember it until you just mentioned. Get on stage. Uh, no, you were fine. The details. Yeah, well, you know, as I've learned about allergic reactions, is when you have an allergic reaction, you you take uh, adrenaline, and <laughs> when, when you, you didn't need to take any, when you go on stage, <laughs> you're getting uh, fifteen thousand people. You're getting uh, <clears throat> what's the yeah. word? Endogenous. Adrenaline at your disposal. Yep. Yep. On tap. <laughs> On tap. Yep. Yep. The adrenaline is flowing. Yes. Yeah. So you can't, and you kind of wake up halfway through the show. You're like, oh, yeah. oh, this is what I'm doing. You do. You do. Because that first part is a bit like um, the beginning of that meditation class, isn't it? You're just like, what the f-? And then yeah, halfway, you're gone. Halfway through, you're like, oh, damn. Yeah. Your conscious mind comes back online. Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh, I don't know what I've been doing, but I'm back now and I can think about the chords I'm playing or the notes I'm singing. Mm, mm. Well, they tell you to soak it in, but... Yeah. Um, Very difficult to do. Yeah, no. Well, you can do it at the end of the show, but it's can, so hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a real trip Yeah, playing um, those massive shows like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Definitely very grateful for those experiences. Absolutely, man. Mm. Mm. Well, on a moment of gratitude, shall we wrap it up? Yeah. Yeah, well, there is, um, you know, we could always do another one of these, can't we? No, no, this will be the only one. You won't won't be invited back. All right. Okay. Well, (laughs) fuck you then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll do many more of these. Mm. Um, Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here, mate. It's been... Yeah, it's been real fun. Cheers, brother. Love you, man. Love you too.